Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters. Dr. Elia Gaguris joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, listeners. Thank you for being here with us today. We've got a different kind of show for you today, and uh, we're going to change gears just a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about dealing with disasters and crisis and stress. But before we get to that, we'd like to thank our sponsor, MBI, the National Business Institute. Attorneys have trusted MBI with their CLA needs for over 35 years. Visit nbi-sems.com today and find out why. And also, don't forget to use that promo code LegalTalkNBI to get $100 off your next CLE course. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gergers. How are things going in Boulder, Colorado? Beautiful, sunny, warm. It's a lovely summer day, Lawrence. Awesome. Whereabouts in Boulder do you live? I'm actually in Superior, which is a little town, just one uh, exit south of uh, Boulder County, just south of Boulder, off 36. Yep. Yeah. I've passed that uh, town many times on my way to the Flatiron. So uh, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Beautiful part of the country. But uh, well, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, doctor. And you know, as I said in the intro, I wanted to change gears today and talk about stress and crisis. Our country's going through a lot right now. And uh, you know, obviously COVID-19 and the health concerns are uh, you know first and prominent on the news. And there's riots and violence in the streets. And you know, Americans are concerned uh, about making sure everybody's getting treated equally and under the law. And there's a growing desire to get back to regular lives, get our kids back in school. We've got a lot of people unemployed in a down economy and uh, much of the country still in lockdown and people are feeling cut off and isolated. So it's a nonstop news cycle pumping out bad news, just adding fuel to that fire. And I guess in short, 2020 has been a bit of a disaster salad with a lot of challenges to put it mildly. And and that's why I wanted to touch base with you uh, today, sir, and and uh, talk about ways that, uh, you know, Americans can do this better, kind of dealing with this and, uh, you know, get in touch with with uh, the things that'll make them feel healthier and do better. And so, but before we get to that, I want to um, want to learn a little bit more about your background and your working experience that helped build this expertise to help people in crisis. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction, Lawrence. Uh, educational background, I graduated from UCLA. I grew up in Southern California. I'm Greek by birth, but I grew up in Santa Monica, a beautiful uh, seaside resort outside of LA. I went on to get my PhD in clinical psychology. You know, my first half of my career was a private practice, a clinical psychologist. And the second half has been, uh, I transitioned over to the corporate side and I do executive coaching, leadership training and development with companies, but specifically with disaster relief. Back in the early 90s, there was a pretty significant earthquake in Los Angeles, the Northridge earthquake, as they call it. And they asked for psychologists to come in and help with first responders. So I got certified by the American Red Cross in disaster mental health relief and uh, helped out there. We we then moved to Colorado. And and soon after that, we had the unspeakable disaster of the Columbine shooting. And again, the state, you know, asked me to come down to Columbine the day after the shooting, actually, and spend the whole week working with uh, the youth of that high school and the tragedy that they uh, witnessed. And it was, a, it was an amazing experience, very t- tough, very tough week, actually. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, about 10 years ago, we had the massive and very destructive earthquake in Haiti. A quarter of a million people passed away. So I flew down there and helped out with another good psychologist friend of mine, working with orphanages and, and, and first responders to help them cope with that disaster. So uh, that's kind of the background specifically to the disaster aspect of it. In March. I had a very strong prompting, Lawrence, just like I'm talking to you right now. 
however you want to call it, the spirit, the intuition, your inner wisdom, whatever, that Ilya, you need to get a book out and you need to get it out like now, like in 45 days. Mind you, my first book, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness, which became a number one bestseller, took me three years to write. So I'm like, 45 days. And the, the message was very clear. Not Don't get out in November. Don't get out in 2021. People will need this now. So I called my uh, partner, uh, writing partner, Konstantinos Apostolopoulos, a fine, another fine Greek name. And I said, brother, I'm going to start writing tomorrow morning. Are you in or are you out? And without hesitating, he said, I'm in. And we spent 45 days and we got the ebook came out on May 1st, exactly 45 days, which is a miracle of sorts. Yeah, that's very, uh, very impressive. You know, I, I've, I've noticed with this uh, pandemic that uh, necessity has really become the mother of invention. But uh, no, that's a, a fantastic resume there. I mean, those are those are seminal events that, uh, you know, really do shape generations and they'll never forget them. And so you know, I want to tap into your knowledge base on this, you know, from what you've seen in this early part of the year um, in terms of manifestation of stress. What are the common ailments that Americans are facing right now? Well, first of all, just like you said in, in the, your introduction, Lawrence, we're not facing just a pandemic. I mean, obviously, COVID-19 is kicking our butts, right? How, we have multiple crises happening simultaneously. We have the mental health crisis, which you just alluded to, where stress, depression, and anxiety is up an astonishing 800%. Let me repeat that, 800%. And mind you, these are not pre-existing conditions. In other words, these are not people that were depressed or anxious prior to the pandemic. So we have a severe mental health crisis. Suicide hotlines, uh, you know, calls are at an all-time high. Drug and alcohol abuse are at an all-time high. People are gaining weight. They call it the COVID-15, meaning an extra 15 pounds because they're sitting around. Then you have the financial and economic crisis with tens of millions, certainly Americans, out of work, hundreds of millions out of work across the globe, and a couple of billion people feeling tremendous financial and economic insecurity, whether they're unemployed, underemployed, or even if they're employed, not knowing what tomorrow brings and, and can they take care of themselves and their loved ones. Then you throw into that the racial and social strife in our streets. So you have four major crises simultaneously. Now, we're pretty resilient as human beings. We're capable of, you know, we're capable of dealing with a, a one crisis or two because we, that's how humanity is, but not four. And this is why you're seeing people, in, the longer this lasts, the more desperate they're getting. It's basically pandemic fatigue syndrome, if that makes sense. Because this is not a sprint. It, I used to say, you know, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Forget about that analogy. This is an ultra marathon with no end in sight because the, the goalposts keep moving back. You know, we thought maybe by the summer, the heat will come, the virus, you know, the, is going to go away or it's going to diminish. Not true. We have record-breaking numbers as we speak. What will the fall look like? Nobody really knows. And the uncertainty is what's causing the, the most damage. If Dr. Fauci, let's say he came out to today, right? And he said, look, I know this has been hard. I know, we, you know our numbers are up and so on. But I promise you, Scout's honor, on October 31st by Halloween, this whole thing is over. This nightmare is over. You know, you and I, Lawrence, would say, man, we've been into this about five months already. We got August, September, October, three more months. But if we had a deadline, I think that we would make it. I'm like, you know what? I can do it for another 30 days, 90 days, 60 days. I just need to know when this is going to end. The uncertainty is what's killing people. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's been one of the uh, continually frustrating things for people is that uh, that the goalposts keep moving. Just like you said, it's like, when do we get out of this? And then the longer we sit in shutdown, the longer the virus is around, you know, the more economic damage it's, it's doing. And people are scared enough as it is. And uh, the longer this goes on, the worse the prospects look. And so I like this analogy that you had in the book, the sponge analogy that, uh, you know, humans are pretty resilient. And, you know, if you deal with one crisis or two, you can absorb it pretty well. But eventually that sponge gets overwhelmed and then you're not able to handle it anymore. And so I think, and I, I just judging from talking with family and friends, uh, you know, people are real busy right now, just trying to get muscle through this, get through it the best they can. If they have work, if they're lucky to have enough to have a job. They're focusing on work. If they have their family at home, lucky to have the family at home. They're focusing on their family, getting their kids to school when school is in session. And so, but I think that's where stress can sneak up on you. And so, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, with your with your psychology background, you know, maybe give some warning signs or some symptoms that people need to keep an eye out for. They got their head down. They're concentrating on getting their day done, but something's building up. Absolutely. And I'll give you three very simple ones. How's your sleep? In other words, most people are having interrupted or disrupted sleep. So they're not getting what they need because sleep is the, is the greater equalizer, right? We stress during the day and then we close our eyes. And if we have deep, relaxing and rejuvenating sleep, we can get up the next day and face it again. If your sleep keeps getting interrupted with nightmares, stress, and anxiety, that detracts from your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. So that's number one. So you have to monitor that one. The other has to do with, you know, under when we put, people are under a lot of stress, they get distracted easily. They have a really hard time focusing or completing tasks. So they may start two or three things, and then almost like they have, you know, attention deficit disorder, even when they don't. They're incapable of, of finishing something. They're, they're, they're distracted. And obviously, feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, anxiety, and depression, you know, those are all signs that we have to do something different, which is the reason why in seven keys that are navigating a crisis, the number one key is self-care. So I had another call this morning, another podcast, and they asked me, I said, you know, people say self-care, self-care, love yourself. Isn't that selfish? I'm like, hello, no, because if you don't practice self-care, you're not going to have any energy, any love, compassion or kindness to show to other people that are around you that are struggling as mightily as you or even worse. So you must practice self-care. Watch your nutrition. Anecdotally, I used to walk three days a week before the pandemic hit because I had to. I'm getting up there in years and, you know, you got to get out. And I, you know, I do three miles a day. It was a had to part. Since the pandemic began in March, I and I walk every single day, seven days a week. I haven't missed one day since April. And I do it because now it feels good. And because my own stress level has risen, I also need to raise the bar in the way that I take care of myself. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I think that exercise is a really good outlet. I think it like allows you to channel some of that negative energy, but uh, you can also think having a hobby, you know, something you enjoy. I mean, that's, I remember I, uh, one of the things I used to do during the last economic recession is I would, you know, my middle of my big job search, the one thing I would do at the end of the day is make sure you build in time for at least 15 minutes of something you enjoy. And that way you had something to look forward to it was sort of the beginning and the end of a process in my mind. And I felt, I found that to be really therapeutic, but uh, every single day i love your suggestion lawrence every single day have something to look forward to. i look some i look forward to my walks honestly and that's an hour out of my day sometimes i take my phone because i have business meetings to attend to while i'm walking but other times i just leave it at home and i listen to the birds and i look at the blue skies and the breeze and you know it's beautiful outside and i 
have basically a walk of gratitude where I express gratitude in my heart and in my mind. I look around like I'm so grateful, even in the midst of this insanity that we're living through. Yeah, no, I think it's very important to uh, take stock in that and be grateful for what we have. I think that's a really positive thing. So uh, we only have a few minutes left, but I definitely want to get into a couple more uh, main points uh, from your book. And I want to talk about danger versus fear. And why is this distinction between these two concepts really important right now? Yeah, that's huge. Lawrence, if somebody comes up to you and I without a, and they cough in our face, then we are in danger. That's a fact. That's a medical fact. That's not a political statement. That's a fact. However, fear is not your friend. Fear is debilitating. Fear is paralyzing. And you don't want to make personal or professional decisions based on fear. So we have to differentiate the two. Protect yourself so you're not in danger, but don't live in fear. Fear is not your friend. Oh, that's wonderful. I think that's really good advice. Um, also, a, a couple of other attributes that I found curious, uh, flexibility and adaptability. And uh, obviously, everybody knows what that means. But, uh, you know, from your analysis and handling, uh, you know, horrible disasters and crisis, you know, walk us through why those two uh, attributes are particularly important when you're trying to navigate your way through something unknown. Okay, so I'm going to you know, paint this picture, the story of the oak tree and the palm tree. Oak, the oak tree is massive, right? Huge. I mean, 100 feet high or more, massive tree, immovable in a lot of ways. But what happens to an oak tree during a hurricane? If there's enough moisture and saturation and enough wind, what happens to oak trees? They come crashing down on cars, people, homes, and so on. On the flip side, you know, the palm tree is like really thin, you know, thin. At the top of the hurricane, the winds, what happens to a palm tree is it bends and it continues to bend. Sometimes it bends and it's almost parallel to the ground. But when the storm passes, guess what happens to the palm tree? It rises up again. So visualize that. We're asking people to be palm trees, not oak trees. If you think you can navigate through all these crises that we're having, by sticking to what you used to do before, I'm not changing my ways. That's the way I've always been. You're sadly <laughs> mistaken. We must be flexible and adaptable. All right. I want to talk about the four personality types when dealing with the crisis. You know, what are those and why is that good to know about? So when you're dealing with a crisis, yeah, you have four personality types. The first one is what we like to call the victim. And the victim is, why is this happening to me? You know, it's all about me. Poor me. Never mind that it's happening to several billion people, too. So poor me, depressed and sad, feeling sorry for oneself. The second one is the critic. Now, the critic, regardless of the, what the local, state, or federal government or the World Health Organization of the United Nations says, no, no matter what people say, they criticize everything. For example, Lawrence, you should wear a mask when you go outside. Well, that's stupid. Okay, Lawrence, you should never wear a mask when you go outside. Hey, what are you trying to do, kill me? <laughs> so no matter what happens, they just criticize everything. Yeah, I think the people call those haters, right? In that in the right. uh, the modern uh, modern lexicon is uh, known as a yeah. hater. Yeah, they, they, and and then and then you have the bystander, which is you know personality number three. The bystander, mind you, is a good person, but is really frozen in fear, kind of the deer with the headlights look. So they don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed by all these changes that are happening. So they look to their neighbors, they look to the left, they look to the right, and basically they don't do anything because they're frightened. And what all three of these have in common, of course, is they offer no positive solutions. They don't move the needle forward. And really, they're stuck. That's the best way to describe it. Now we get to the fourth personality type, which is called the navigator, which is the whole premise of this book. And the navigator, of course, begins with self-care, learning how to take care of themselves, practices flexibility and adaptability, is aware of their environment, prepares, takes initiative, has a positive attitude, 
And ultimately, in the end, as a result of navigating through this and any other crisis, because this isn't just about the pandemic, they have the ability to help their fellow human beings through acts of kindness and service. So our call to action basically is become a navigator. Now, people say, well, are you saying I can never feel bad for it? I said, no, 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 no. All these four personality types exist within each human being. It's human nature. What I am saying is don't stay stuck. You want to be a victim, do it for an hour or two and then pivot and become a navigator. And by the way, I have experienced personally myself all four of those. When the pandemic hit in March, you know, I speak around the world internationally on happiness and wellness. Last year, I spoke in London and Paris and Rome and Athens and so on. I had trips to go to. You know what happened to those trips? Canceled. (laughs) One after another, like in one week, all my speaking engagement. So I, I had the victim mode. I'm like, oh, no, I was looking forward to going to Barcelona. Now what? Or, you know, the bystander, what am I going to do now? Right. And have I been critical from time to time from the government? Yes, I have been. But the point is, and this is the biggest takeaway for your listeners, is you don't want to stay there for two months or even two weeks or even two days. Criticize for an hour and get out of that mode and become a navigator. Because if I were to be sit back and criticize, and there's lots to criticize, by the way, I'm making myself miserable and I'm robbing myself from my own personal happiness, right? So the call is become a navigator. It's okay to feel for a victim, do it for an hour and then get past it and move on. Well, it sounds like it's kind of a process too, you know, and uh, everybody, it's going to come to everybody in, in a different sort of format. It's going to hit everybody at a different level, but it sounds like what you're suggesting is like, yeah, you may go through all of these, but the ultimate goal here is to get towards handling it and uh, navigating your way through it. And by the way, as an optimist, I do have a positive attitude. We will overcome this, even though humanity is down on one knee right now and we're getting our, you know, it's not easy. We're going to overcome this. No doubt about it. The vaccine will come. Drugs are coming. We're in the third stage of human testing right now. So we're close. It's coming. Just, we just have to hang in there. And more importantly, help one another because we're all in this together. This doesn't discriminate. This is, you know, all of humanity is getting uh, hit. Well, I, I share your optimism and I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Gagurus. You're welcome. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We'll cite and make available our sources for this episode, including a link to Dr. Gagouris' website and also a link to his book in our show notes. And uh, one more shout out, because we've got to say thank you. They're wonderful people over there for making this program possible. NBI, the National Business Institute. You can find them at nbi-sems.com. Don't forget that promo code, Legal Talk NBI, to receive $100 off your next CLE. This has been Legal Talk Today. Have a great day, everybody. Bum 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 b